Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 Welcome to Keep It Girls and Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys, one of whom is feeling very good about his Florida Panthers bet to win the cup right now. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and joining me, as usual, to talk through all of the trades from the past week, as well as some unfortunate injuries, some exciting outjuries, some hot streaks and cold streaks, all the good stuff you come to Keep It Carlson for. It's my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the poobah prognostication, the IPP MVP himself. He's here! It's Brian Kong! Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Yes, we are here for a trade deadline edition of Keeping Carlson, which is actually not a great edition because we're doing this about 16 hours before the trade deadline actually takes place. A lot may or may not happen. A couple trades happened just before we came on air. We're going to give you uh, the best instant reactions we can. And as we've talked about on past shows, though, the trade deadline, an exciting moment in hockey Generally not the most exciting moment in fantasy hockey, so I don't think we're, go- we're about to discover or miss out on any wild implications or far-reaching implications for anything that's going to happen between now, Sunday, March 20th, in the evening, and Monday afternoon of the trade deadline, but we're going to do our best to look into our crystal balls and tell you what all the player movement is going to mean for your fantasy teams, but more importantly, honestly... If you're focusing on that, you're missing the forest for the trees, because as Elon says, there is the usual raft of changes in depth charts and line combos that we need to take a look at and dig into and figure out to exploit as best we can in our championship runs. Yeah, this is getting down to it, right? It's the trade deadline, but it's also a week before a lot of people's fantasy playoffs start. So you need to get ready to make sure you don't have any riffraff on your team. So we'll do some cold streaks also at the end of the show. Some players that would be tough drops earlier in the year, but at some point you have to make the tough decisions. Yeah, but we'll get to all that in just a second. Like Brian said, uh, the trade deadline obviously hasn't happened yet. We're recording on Sunday night, but that's what we've got Ben and Lewis for. That's why we're paying them the big bucks, and they're going to be recording their next show on Tuesday evening. So they'll be able to cover the remaining trades that happen on Monday, and then obviously Brian and I. We'll give our takes on the important ones, you know, the following Sunday. So that's the plan. Before we get into everything, let's, of course, mention that Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by DopperHockey.com. That's your place to go minute by minute as trades happen, because I love those articles that they put up there with all the trade implications. They break down the trade. They talk about which players, you know, increase in fantasy value, which players decrease in fantasy value. It's a really great resource as trades are coming in. So definitely check it out at DopperHockey.com. But with that, Brian, let's get started. And I think we should start the show actually with a question we got from Shams, the person who helps us retweet all of the tweets from our great accounts, that now the tweets are getting aggregated at a brand new site, gamedaytweets.com, which I'm uh, pretty proud of. Check it out. That's where you can get all those tweets split up into, you know, for the line combinations, like split up by team, like we had that before. There's goalie starts where you can see the goalie starts as the tweets come in, the news. It's all there, gamedaytweets.com. My name is Shams, asked for today's show, 
Will the trade deadline have any effect on your streams this week? Or are you going to grab the guys Monday morning at the midnight turnover as per usual? So yeah, like you said, Brian, maybe there's not going to be too, too many fantasy implications for the actual trades that happen. But one implication is that if you could pick up a player that will turn out to have a different schedule next week than you expected because they got traded. Like anyone who added Mark Giordano or maybe avoided Mark Giordano because Seattle only plays two times next week. Well, he's on Toronto now. That's a whole other schedule. And I actually added Giordano a couple weeks ago in anticipation of the couple semifinals. And I'm very happy to see that he went to Toronto mainly because Toronto plays Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday of that week. So I got a nice schedule bump. Uh, But yeah, Brian, I guess there's a few players that, you know, they're still being rumored to be moved. Like Marc-Andre Fleury is one of them that jumps to mind. Are you sort of like going to hold off on any decisions you make until you see how things shake out? Also, they might be the kind of thing where a player that's available free agency that you think has no value maybe all of a sudden becomes valuable and you'll be sad that you wasted all your moves before being able to see what the ramifications are of everything. Right. If you're listening to this on Sunday night or Monday morning, you might get itchy and figure like want to know what to do about these using your moves when things might change, the ground might shift under you. And actually, Elon, I feel like we have plenty of experience working with that this year, this trade deadline and trying to figure out exactly how to use my moves, knowing some big changes maybe on the horizon, but really some little changes. I'm just a big trade deadline wet blanket, by the way. So I'm sorry for anyone who is. Re- I'm excited, too. I think it'll be fun. But this does feel almost like when everyone was getting COVID. Remember, you didn't want to burn moves too far before game time in case a player didn't actually end up playing. And this feels similar to that. Uh, you know, I'll think twice about streaming in players who may get dealt, especially if there's a chance they'll be crossing the border, if that's the latest smoke and and rumor out there about them. And I'll also know that if I have any star players, you know, maybe I need to subtract a game plate or two from my projected totals. And uh, looking at the ones who may still have yet to move, I guess Giordano got moved. But looking at, you know, the TSN trade bait board, I still see Fleury, Raquel, Klingberg, and Shikrin, although Shikrin's injured anyway. But those are probably the most likely to be rostered guys who may change hands over the trade deadline and you may lose games from, uh, you know, I haven't been going crazy on Mondays anyway this season. So I actually am pretty happy that the deadline is on a Monday. Let's get it all over with. And then I can use the rest of my moves through the week as I normally would. But yeah, definitely think twice if you're about to spend a move uh, without thinking about whether or not the guys that you're spending the move on or making up a a loss of games played for uh, that their team and schedule might change in the rest of the week or they might miss a game or two in transit. Yeah, definitely good advice. Yeah, I think of like, for example, speaking of the Mark Giordano trade, like all of a sudden, Vince Dunn has more fantasy value. And obviously, we'll discuss that when it happens. But you know, so maybe some of these players, you'll like to have saved your moves, because maybe some there'll be some like, you know, peripheral guys that all of a sudden become more valuable that you'll want to consider. But anyways, we'll get into it all starting right now. So let's talk about the biggest wheelers and dealers of the deadline so far. Those are, of course, the Florida Panthers, who on Wednesday, they sent Frank Vetrano to the Rangers for a fourth. Then they acquired Ben Sherratt from the Habs for a prospect and a first and a fourth, and all of this was setting the stage for the big acquisition on Saturday where they acquired Claude Giroux from the Flyers along with uh, Connor Bunneman and German Rubtsov, and a fifth for Owen Tippett, a first and a third. Uh, unfortunately, the Florida Panthers also had a new huge obstacle come their way with Aaron Ekblad getting hurt in Friday's game, and since then it's been announced that he's going to be out for the regular season. So then the Panthers, I'd imagine in response, made another move, trading for Robert Hag from the Sabres today. So lots to unpack here. 
But let's start with Giroud, who started the year very strong. He had 12 points in his first 10 games for the Flyers, but then has really cooled off. Only 29 points in his last 47 games. Looking specifically at his final stretch with Philly, I'm counting only two goals and two assists in Giroud's final 11 games as a Flyer. So while Brian and I preached that most rental players would likely lose fantasy value if they get moved to a contender, remember the logic was like, you know, if you have a star player on a bad team, that's like a, you know, big fish in a small pond. All of a sudden, this player is going to go to like a good team where maybe they don't get as great deployment. Maybe there's not as many minutes to go around if you're on like an already really good team. But in Giroud's case, I kind of feel like he might be an exception because he was kind of in a bad spot and he was, wasn't doing much in Philly. Now he goes to Florida where I just see a golden spot waiting for him. Like in the Florida's last game, they were riding with Barkov or Haggy and Maxime Mammon on the top line. So that seems like a good spot for Giroud to potentially slot in. We unfortunately don't have info yet on how the deployment will shake out. But if I were to guess, I would go, you get Giroud with Verhaggy and Barkov. Then you could keep the second line, Huberto, Bennett, Duclair. Then you could have Reinhardt and Lundell when he's healthy with Marchment on the third line. I mean, man, I'm licking my lips, Brian. This is a stacked forward core. But yeah, in terms of Giroud, this has got to be a potential upgrade for the patient managers who have held on to him during this recent cold stretch, right? If he has a chance to be playing with Barkov or Huberto. For sure. It seems unlikely that Giroud is going to fall outside the top six. And by the way, Claude Giroud, anyone who's had him already, I, I feel like you've enjoyed most of what he's done this season. I mean, Giroud is not setting the world on fire, which is not what we expected, but he is having a perfectly fine season on a team that is on the wrong kind of fire in Philadelphia. It's a tire fire over there this year. But meanwhile, Giroud, 34 years old, he's putting up a 60, 65 point pace through the year for the third straight season. And not coincidentally, this is also the third straight year that Giroud has been playing fewer than 14 minutes a night at five on five. So he's not in peak form. He's not skating as often as he's used to skating, but he's still in very good form with plenty to offer. And that top line in Florida, as you mentioned, Elon, that would make a lot of sense for Giroud. You've got Mammon, who didn't work out, Marchment, Tippett, neither of them really worked there. And it's not even like you really need anyone to work on that top line. It's really just gravy, right? So wouldn't it be nice if Giroud could step in there into a spot that no one has really been productive from? And no one is actually, you know, we're looking for production as fantasy managers. But the fact that that spot keeps cycling all season long tells me that coach also isn't thrilled with what they're seeing from the third piece on that line. So it does seem like a convenient spot for Giroud to slot in. This season, Drew's power play production is down, but I think that's probably as much attributable to Philadelphia as it would be to Giroux himself. Like, I think this is great for him. Uh, he's better than Verhege, I think, right? Uh, the only wonder for me is that Giroux has always been the guy on his line. You look back at his 100-point seasons, he's the one you wanted exposure to, but now Giroux's with Barkov, and I don't know if he's ever played with a guy like Barkov. I look at Giroud's most successful and productive seasons. I see him playing with Danny Briere, Jeff Carter, Mike Richards, Jacob Voracek. These are some vintage Flyers names here. And uh, I wonder exactly how he does in this role. I'm sure he's going to do great, but it's more of a complimentary role than he's ever played in. I might even compare him, Elon, to the way that Taylor Hall has played a more complimentary role in Boston, except Taylor Hall is not on as great a line. And if Carter Verhage can put up 70 points playing with Alex Barkov, I, I would like to think that Claude Giroux could do the same. Uh, but I did mention his power play production hasn't been that great, and I don't know that it improves in Florida, because he's going to have to displace Anthony Duclair, 
or maybe Sam Reinhardt on the top power play. But nothing's wrong there, right? Yeah, the Florida power play looking good. And you're right. I wonder what's going to happen with Giroud. The thing is, like, also one thing I'll preach is for people to not to, like, freak out too much about, like, the opening game lines with Giroud in the lineup. There might be a lot of tinkering over these next couple of weeks. So maybe Duclair loses his spot on the top power play. And then maybe he gets it back after a game or two. And we have seen star players come to the team, a la Sam Reinhardt, and then play on the third line or on the second power play for stretches, which isn't something we maybe expected in the offseason. But yeah, Duclair's maybe, if I'm looking at, like, people who might be casualties of Giroud coming. Duclair, I guess, to me, like, jumps out just because he has 12 points in his last 14 games, but 10 of them have been on the power play, which is awesome, and maybe it's a point in his favor of, like, he should just hold that job, but if he were to get bumped from the top power play... Like, clearly playing with Huberdeau at even strength, which you think would be enough, like, hasn't been enough for him to put up too much production at even strength. I guess you could say the same about Sam Bennett, right? Lately, a lot of people have been uh, frustrated with him. So we'll have to definitely see what happens. But Duclair, if displaced from the top power play, would concern me. But that's a big if. It's up to uh, Brunette to decide what he wants to do. And we don't have an idea yet of what he's planning. Yeah, and that top power play is not broke, so there's no reason to fix it. Like, Duclair has been showing all he can do on that top unit for a while now. It's working, so maybe it holds. Sam Reinhardt also doing really well. Those are the, I mentioned, I just, I'm throwing Reinhardt in there as the other guy that I think maybe could be displaced. Or, hey, maybe with Ekblad out, which we'll get to in a, in a minute, maybe they go five forwards. Although I think that's the least likely scenario of all that we're considering. Look, I could see Giroud getting a look at some point early on. Elon, like you said, we're not going to read too much into any lines we see right away, but I don't know why the Panthers would break up the top unit that's flying right now, and maybe instead they use Giroux to bolster a second unit, which would be good news for Anthony Duclair. Yeah, unless it's bad news because they like split it 50-50 because they have so many star players, then it's bad. Anyway, whatever. We, okay, so obviously we'll talk more next Sunday <laughs> once we have a little bit more info, but it's exciting. I do think it's interesting how you brought up that maybe Giroux has never been like, uh, you know, the more complimentary player on the line. And when you compared him to Taylor Hall there, it did kind of scare me a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't actually have Giroux in any of my leagues, but yeah, I don't want to say it's like guaranteed going to be 100% amazing, but obviously it can't get much worse than how things were going recently for Giroux. So I don't think the managers can complain. Uh, then, on D, like we both have been talking about. So Aaron Ekblad suffered a lower body injury versus Anaheim. He's going to be out for the rest of the regular season. Oh my god, such tough news for Ekblad managers who struck gold with this draft pick. Ekblad has broken out in a huge way this season. He ends the regular season with 57 points in 61 games. I guess he'll be back and help Florida go win me some money and win the Stanley Cup. But in the meantime, uh, he's gone, right? And so for our fantasy playoffs, we look at who, unless they go five forwards on the power play, someone else is going to have to step up to be the quarterback. Uh, In that Friday game, Mackenzie Wieger took over on the top power play while Brandon Montour manned the second unit. Uh, Montour had already been manning the second unit the whole time. Wieger hadn't been getting any power play time before that game. So I guess you could, on one hand, assume that Wieger just holds it. That's also, he was the guy last season, if you recall when Ekblad got injured though of course there is also newly acquired Ben Sherratt who I don't know big question mark right like he had six points in his final five games with the Habs and he was seeing second power play unit time there so in recent times he has more power play experience than Mackenzie Weger if you put it that way though obviously there's a big difference playing on the Habs versus on the Panthers Uh, so yeah I don't know anything to make of any of this and trying to predict like do you think it's for sure Mackenzie Weger and you're being silly if you think otherwise or do you think there's a chance that like Chirac could do something. Maybe not silly if you think otherwise. Chirac could get a look. The same way that Giroud could get a look on the top unit for a shift or a period just to see what happens. But I would be pretty surprised if Chirac, who is not 
built in the mold of an offensive defenseman is able to take more top power play minutes than Mackenzie Weger, who is also maybe not necessarily built in exactly the mold of an offensive power play defenseman, but we've seen him manage it. And I don't see why the Panthers would just like change their minds entirely. Weger replaced Ekblad last year. I don't see Sherrod as being substantially better than Weger. Plus, uh, we don't know how long he's in Florida for where Weger, there's a bit of a relationship there. So I would assume that Mackenzie Weger is the one you want to pick up that Florida power play quarterbacking time. Yeah, and in that case, uh, good news for Uyghur managers because he's been on a cold streak recently. So obviously getting that top power play spot is probably going to be good for him. Yeah, let's also keep in mind that it's never a guarantee, right? Like look at Jacob Slavin, who's who's had this happen a couple times over the last couple years. He gets all this top power play time doesn't get to do anything with or well he tries to do something with it but he doesn't actually deliver it is possible for a power play quarterback to step into a role uh, that someone really like Aaron Eckblad is really freaking talented and he does a lot of the work on that power play too of course a lot of people do a lot of the work there it's a great place to be but I would suggest that maybe just maybe I would go out and get Uyghur for sure but if it's not clicking after a few games, it, it, I'm just saying it's not a slam dunk. But Weger did. I'm trying to actually remember, Elon. Uh, I didn't look this up before we recorded. But my memory tells me that Mackenzie Weger, in the time that Ekblad was out last year, had like some really great even strength play, but did not put up a ton on the power play. All right, I'm checking out Frozen Tools right now. So he had 11 points in his final 11 games last season and two power play points. So I don't know. Two points in 11 games on the power play. It's something. Not not blowing the doors off. Uh, but anyways, we'll see. It's a whole new team now. It's a, like, you know, we've got some new players in here. We've got potentially two new guys in this top power play in Sharu and Uyghur, So we'll wait and see what happens. But I agree with you that Uyghur is probably the guy that gets the, the first shot there. And if the listeners can indulge a little bit more Panthers talk, I just want to also mention 20-year-old Spencer Knight, who has started the last four games for the team with Bobrovsky, quote-unquote, not feeling well. And... Spencer Knight has been great. He's led in only eight goals in those four games, including a shutout on the over the Ducks on Friday. It only took 17 saves to do it, but hey, a shutout is a shutout. Uh, is there anything to make of this recent development? Or like, are you just expecting that once Bobrovsky is healthy, hopefully this is something that, you know, he f- feels better soon. Uh, once he's healthy, is he going to go back to being this like volume starter that he's been all season? Because I, there were times when Spencer Knight got games and he just like wasn't doing well. And I assumed that was a big reason why Bobrovsky was playing so often. But now that Knight is showing himself to be pretty good i wonder if maybe he's earned a few more games rest of the way like how do you think this is going to shake out for the rest of the season i feel like it doesn't change anything so materially especially because the latest update we have on bobrovsky is from jameson olive who said that andrew brunette uh who quoted andrew brunette saying that bobrovsky looked really good on the ice really sharp he's skating uh this has been lingering a little bit we'll get a day off tomorrow and then we'll know on tuesday so hopefully within a couple days of us recording this we know what the future holds for bobrovsky but that's a pretty positive update on the whole and i just feel like this is what florida wants like this actually kind of worked out bob took a little break hopefully he's back no worse for wear And in the meantime, Spencer Knight did get to carry a bit of the load, and they got to see what he could do, and he got on a roll. Spencer Knight has a 937 save percentage in his last five games. That's good news for Florida. This is great. If a goalie gets injured, they know their backup is ready to step in in a year that they could legit win the Stanley Cup and don't want... Uh, it to be squandered by some bad goaltending, but I think it's going to go back to being Bob's net 
once he's ready for it. I don't think this last little run of games uh, helps steal many starts from Bobrovsky, but I think it just helps the Panthers feel confident that what they've got in net is going to work for them, which unfortunately doesn't do much for your fantasy team. So the actionable advice here is that if you have Spencer Knight, when Bobrovsky comes back, I would let him go. I'm not seeing any reason to hold on to him. I don't think he's going to see more than one every three games. And even if he saw that many, I might be a little surprised. Right. Okay. I think I agree with you there. So let's move on now to the teams on the other side of these Panthers deals. Let's start in Philly, who's now down their captain, but up a high pedigree prospect in Owen Tippett, who was drafted 10th overall back in 2017, but he struggled to get significant ice time on this stacked Panthers team. And Owen Tippett apparently took some red eye flight. He was there today for Philly in their win over the Islanders. And he played, uh, let me see here how many minutes he played. He played uh, four minutes on the power play, 14 minutes overall. Uh, looking at the lines, we saw it was, so, Atkinson with JVR and Broussard, and then Farabee with Konechny and Kevin Hayes, and Kevin Hayes scored both of those goals. And then Owen Tippett, I guess, was on the third line with Oscar Lindblom and Morgan Frost. But yeah, a good chunk of power play time for Tippett. It looks like they were going with... Uh, two even power plays. I'm just looking at Frozen Tools right now, getting the lowdown here. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's the situation now in Philly. Do you have any interest in, before we talk about everyone else, like Owen Tippett, a guy who at one point this season we were talking about as being interested in playing with Bennett and Huberdeau. It didn't really work out, like you mentioned before. Are you, is he someone he, uh, even on your watch list in any of your leagues now that he's in Philly? Or is he just someone that, yeah, maybe one day he'll be good, but I'm not expecting anything this season? No, Tippett's on my watch list. If, I mean, if we can't expect anything from him this season, I'm not sure when we can. This is a guy who's 23 years old already. He was drafted 10th overall in 2017 by the Panthers. He's played 94 games. Owen Tippett is ready for the NHL, and we're ready to see what he can offer. He's already conquered the AHL. Over the last few seasons, uh, he has scored 58 points in 58 AHL games played. But in the NHL, Tippett has had uh, just 33 points in those aforementioned 94 NHL games. But granted, Tippett has been playing mostly bottom six roles, seeing fewer than 12 minutes a night. This is a guy who has top six upside, but he just hasn't put it all together yet which actually doesn't that feel like a way to describe a large swath of the existing Philadelphia prospect base? You know, you think of your Farabee and your Lawton and it's just like, yeah, that, uh, that and your Lindblom. Uh, so at the end of the day, Owen Tibbet ideally is a top sixer. I think it might be a little more likely at this point that he's a middle sixer and, and nothing's assured at all for him. Like this is a swing Philly's taking on a goal scoring winger. It may or may not pan out. The good news for Owen Tippett is that if he does get to play in the top six, Philadelphia has two quality centermen there. Uh, only one right now because Sean Couturier is injured, but next season, uh, I would like to see Tippett playing with either Couturier or Kevin Hayes as a quality centerman that can help a scoring winder find their game. And I think it'll be good for Tippett to get a fresh look the rest of the season, regardless of who his centerman is. And this is a chance also for Tippett to see more than the 10, 12 minutes a night that he's only been seeing uh, since like January. So I, I don't think he's someone I, I rush for. I'm not going to go get him because I think there's going to be this brand new opportunity in Philly that he's ready to take advantage of. But I will put him on my watch list as like somewhere, uh, someone who lands somewhere between Joel Farabee and Scott Lawton. 
Yeah, definitely I would say that Joel Farabee is in much higher regard right now in Philly than Owen Tippett. I don't even think they're close, right? Farabee, another big game today. He's been playing uh, top power play for a long stretch now. And yeah, Tippett, sure, if he got to play with one of those two centermen, I would like it. But we saw today that didn't happen. So I guess we'll see. They won the game today. So at least probably for the next game, they'll probably keep things how they did. Uh, But yeah, you are correct that he saw some more ice time than he's used to. So that'll be a nice thing for him. Uh, As far as the rest of this Philly team, most of them are available in most people's free agency, right? There's Cam Atkinson, who's running hot again on his line with JVR and Brassard. And, like, he's taken in most leagues. He has 22 shots over his last five games going into today. Uh, then everyone else is probably out there for people in in most leagues. Uh, you look at Atkinson's line mates, JVR and Brassard. They both had four points in their previous five games going into today's game against the Islanders. Kevin Hayes, like I mentioned, two goals today on his line with Konechny and Farabee. So Farabee, another couple assists. Today, uh, Konechny's doing okay, four points in his last six games. And then got to imagine he got a point today. Yeah, Konechny. Oh, also two assists. Oh, both goals are Kevin Hayes assisted by Konechny and Farabee. So there you go. So let's just say all these guys are available, like I'm saying, including Owen Tippett. You decide, I want a flyer. I feel like I've asked you this before, but it's always fun to get the updated answer. Atkins is not available. Everyone else is. Who who would you take right now? Okay, uh, I would probably take uh, Travis Konechny, who's boring, but somewhat dependable, at least. Like, he's not going to blow the doors off, but nice every so often he gets you like a point and that's uh, that's about as much as you could expect from any philly forward uh, i'm into faraby i'm into hayes like i'm sort of just going down my list here brassard uh, not terribly excited about uh, jvr also he likes to show up and then go cold but they are playing with cam atkinson which is a nice place to be based on the way like you mentioned elon that atkinson has been playing lately i just feel like any flyer is kind of a crapshoot Uh, They can go, like, super hot or frozen cold. And that's why uh, Travis Konechny, I think, has had the most level season of them all. A nice, steady, but boring pace. And I will take that over the chance of getting absolutely nothing from some of these other guys. Maybe I'd put Farabee up ahead of them. Yeah, I think that's close. I think, yeah, Farabee and Konechny. Uh, But, yeah, all all of them are kind of interesting in this top six. And then I think, yeah, the Tippett line sort of falls for now until something changes. And, by the way, uh, definitely no need to include Ivan Provorov in this discussion. Total snoozer. He's still rostered in, like, a lot of leagues. 58% of leagues on Yahoo. These are all people snoozing right now. He's only got... Well, he's got no points in his last five games, pacing for only 28 points on the season. Uh, He's not getting any power play time. Today was Cam York and Keith Yandel getting the power play time for the defenseman for Philly. Yeah, he gets some decent peripherals, but there's a lot of defensemen. I just added a guy named, I even forget his name. I added some guy on San Jose in my Dynasty League who gets similar peripherals. Oh, Jacob Magna. He also gets lots of hits and blocks. So, I mean, yeah, Provorov maybe has a little bit more offensive potential than Megna, but, like, clearly not much, right? A less than 30-point defenseman is not interesting, and this is, like, I can't imagine any competitive league having, you know, uh, having Provorov, like, still rostered by a team that's trying to go for the win, so... I don't know. I say let him go. I think we've already said on the show let him go, but let's, like, once again remind people that they should be letting Provorov go. Yeah, you should be letting Provorov go, and if you're picking somebody up, like, for, forget uh, Jacob Magna, and maybe take a look at Cam York, who's been seeing a decent share of the Flyers' power play minutes lately. Uh, he hasn't been doing much with them. He did have a power play point three games ago, 
That was before he was seeing uh, top power play unit time. But today, he's almost five minutes on the power play. It looked like he might have been sharing time with Keith Yandel, but he was out, Cam York, with the unit that has Kevin Hayes and Travis connecting. I'm trying to, re- like, I, I think the Flyers are pretty much splitting it 50-50. I also saw a take from uh, uh, someone we've I follow on Twitter and trust on the Flyers named Alexander Appleyard, who said that Travis Sanheim is somebody who he'd like to see get power played one time the rest of the season to see what his upside is, because why not, right? You're at the end of a lost season. Might as well see what you've got. Um, so maybe Sandheim gets a look, but right now Cam York is getting a look and he might be somebody worth adding. Uh, you know, I'd actually add him ahead of a few of those Philly forwards to see if he can take any advantage of some new power play one minutes that he's getting. Yeah, we're going to talk about a few defensemen who have new top power play roles. I guess we already talked about a potential one in Philly. So add Cam York to the list. Maybe at the end we could do a ranking. But okay, so that is Philly. Let's go to another team that the Panthers traded with in the Rangers. Talk about Frank Vetrano, who's in a pretty sweet spot right now, playing with Stroman Panarin on the second line. Uh, Through two games, this line hasn't been able to score versus Tampa or the Islanders. But the Rangers did play today, and it looks like their game just ended. Brian, I'm sorry to say, uh, because I know your opponent picked up uh Georgiev but he got the shutout so two nothing final Rangers over Carolina and I see that Vetrano scored a goal it's an empty netter but hey they count the same for fantasy so he's finally on the board as a New York Ranger he also had five shots versus Tampa on Saturday let's see what Vetrano did today it's fun to do these checks like mid-show two shots so not or one shot. Oh, come on, Frank. Okay, Frank's Vitrano's always been the kind of player that I've been interested in Florida just because he was kind of a high-volume shooter for, like, the types of people that are available in free agency. Um, but that said, like, even on the this line, on the Rangers, I just, it's hard to imagine him getting too big of a run. Like, it was, like, Dryden Hunt there before, and he wasn't doing anything. Like, I guess, like, I just asked you before if someone like Owen Tippett is on your watch list. Is, like, Frank Vetrano, like, in the same kind of level as Tippett? Or do you actually have interest in trying him out on your team because he's playing with Panarin? I have a little more interest in trying out Frank Vetrano. Uh, he had five shots in 16 minutes in his second game with the Rangers. It's a bummer he didn't keep that up in the most recent game. Uh, but Vetrano has not been somebody who has consistently produced. He's been someone who's consistently taken shots over the last few years, which is what has made him kind of like a popular name in streaming circles. He's a guy who somehow manages two and a half shots per game, but only a 40-point pace. That's been Frank Vetrano's MO for the last few years. And that makes him a decent streamer, but not someone I'd be working to clear roster space for. Like, Elon, you're like, but he's playing with Panarin and Strom. But we've yet to see a third wheel produce with Panarin and Strom this year. We've seen Dryden Hunt, who got a look and our attention very briefly, but wasn't able to keep it up. Capo Caco, who, Elon, you were, you were willing into a breakout from that position, but he wasn't able to do it. Both Caco and Hunt have been more or less silent, which to me makes Vitrano no sure thing to add because of his exposure to Panarin and Strom. But if you need a couple shots in a night, maybe he's helpful. And there is, of course, more of a chance that he'll produce with those guys than if he's playing somewhere in the bottom six. So there's that. But he's not somebody who I'm feeling uh, extremely excited to go out and get. I know it's hard for me to feel extremely excited about going out to get anyone. But yeah, I am just going to remind everybody that Dryden Hunt and Capococco have failed to do anything from the same spot that Frank Vitrano now inhabits. It's nice that he picked up an empty netter tonight. That's great. But I just don't know that he's going to be a slam dunk. Who is when you're streaming? But if you want a couple shots, then uh, you could definitely do worse. 
Yeah, and hey, maybe we will. I'm, I'm going to try my best, Brian. I'm going to keep throwing players at you for the next hour and a half. Maybe we will hit a player that you say is a slam dunk. Yeah, uh, it's all relative, though, right? Like, I like we, it's good for you to compare these guys. I mean, the streamers available. Vitrano is in a nice new situation. I, I'm trying to be more positive because you could bring up all these guys. I'm no, not him, not him, not him. But then I'm just not adding anybody. So yeah, Vitrano, I would absolutely consider adding. You asked me him versus Tippett. I mean, I like Tippett on the top power play, and I like that he might be unleashed a little. I'd probably want to see another game from each guy, but if I needed to add somebody right now, I think I'd take the swing on Tippett. Uh, I'm not interested in either of them, to be honest. I'll take one of these Philly guys. Oh, okay, me neither, about. but I was forcing myself to be. Okay, okay, so let's keep going. Let's see if we can find anyone better. All right, let's go to the Leafs. They had a very busy day today. I prepared this whole show and didn't write anything about the Leafs, and then all of a sudden now I've written the whole big thing. So let's start with the fact that they put Petr Mrazek on waivers, who would have called this a couple of months ago? But he's been just so brutal lately. He's now down to an 884 save percentage on the season. He still has two years left at 3.8 million per year after this one. So I don't expect anyone to take him, but they'll still clear the cap space. Man, uh, that was a bad signing. Sorry, I could have told you, Toronto. I, I never really liked P- Petr Mrazek for what it's worth. Anyways, they then went out and signed 32-year-old Olympic gold medal winning goaltender Harry Sateri, who's been having an amazing season with Novosibirsk Sibir in the KHL. He has a 9.33 save percentage this season. Uh, unfortunately, the Leafs are going to have to now put him on waivers and see if he clears waivers, so it'll be pretty funny and mean if another team just goes and claims Sateri after the Leafs did all the hard work to get him to agree to sign to a contract. But anyways, assuming Sateri does clear waivers, I guess we're going to be seeing a Sateri and Eric Schalgren tandem for a bit until Jack Campbell comes back. And who knows what's going on with Jack Campbell? Uh, hopefully he will come back at some point. But in the meantime, Schalgren had two great starts this past week, but then got blown up for five goals against versus Nashville on Saturday. Brian, want to just give us a quick rundown on, like, first of all, who this Harry Sateri is, and if you're interested in taking a shot on him. Like, I was asking in our Discord what people think about Sateri versus Shalgren, and everyone's been like, well, obviously, like, Shalgren is their guy, and Sateri's just there, you know, as a stopgap until Campbell comes back. But out of the way, I see, like, who was who was Shalgren, like, a week ago? No one even cared about him. Then he had a couple good games. Sateri's, you know, older. He has this experience. He's he's a winner. He won a gold medal. So I don't know. I feel like there's at least a potential that he could end up taking over as the starter. Like, I don't know. I feel like right now I'd give Shalgren in the edge but I feel like both of them could potentially have a good week and have some value until Campbell comes back curious to get what your thoughts are we're all watching to see first if Harry Sateri clears waivers right because the Leafs have to pass him through waivers they sign him to a one-year deal and the rest of the NHL can throw a wrench in the Leafs plans of course Sateri and his agent might not be too happy with a team that does that so we'll see I remember the Leafs you know passing Spezza through waivers and everyone respecting it uh, so we'll see, because Spezza had said he wasn't going to play anywhere else. We'll see what happens uh, by this time, you know, in, in about 24 hours from now. But let's assume that Sateri does play in Toronto. Well, who is this guy to start with? Uh, fourth round pick, 106th overall from 2008. Sateri was drafted by San Jose nearly 15 years ago. He's now 32 years old, as you mentioned, Elon. He played four years in Worcester of the AHL. And uh, had meh results uh, as a minor league goalie in the San Jose system. He cycled through a couple other teams. He was part of the Florida organization and the Detroit organization briefly. Didn't do anything there. But in the KHL, Sateri has been a 920 goalie or higher across six KHL seasons with two different clubs. For what it's worth, uh, being above a 920 in the KHL doesn't always mean 
uh, incredible things are going to come when you play in North America. For example, Soteri's backup has actually outperformed him as a 931 save percentage in fewer games played, though Soteri outperformed this same backup the year before and has clearly earned the starter's role there. But all this to say, uh, you know, we went gaga for Igor Shostorkin's KHL numbers, but we went gaga for all of Igor Shostorkin's career and the prospect reports and all the scouting we've seen. Soteri doesn't have that behind him. Like you said, Elon, he does have a gold medal around his neck and has played well in international play. Uh, Auntie, one of our uh, patrons over in our Discord server, said that, you know, he's always looked good to Terry in international play, but Finland plays a tight defensive game in front of him. So it's hard to really judge how much of Sateri's success internationally has been Sateri or the system that the team in front of him is playing. This is a, it's a gamble. And why not at this point? The Leafs have nothing to lose. I feel like uh, any team that took Morazic off their hands for free at this point, and it, they're basically saying, giving Toronto a mulligan. It's like, hey, uh, you signed a goalie. It didn't work out. You committed to him for a couple of years. Why don't we just finish that contract for you so you can try again? Um, so they'll be doing the Leafs a favor. And I, I feel like the league, no one around the league is is about to do that. Unless they're really desperate for Petr Mrazek, which I also don't see being the case. Yeah, it's we, not happening. Yeah, I mean, I think Mrazek is better than he's looked lately. I think once you get behind the eight ball, especially in Toronto, it's hard to find your feet, especially for a team that you've never um, been able to get comfortable with. Uh, like from what we've seen from Mrazek, he's not the greatest NHL goalie, but he is, I think, a slightly below average NHL starter. So we'll see if another team takes a shot on him. But my guess is no. My guess is, is that Sateri passes uh, clearly through waivers too and joins the Leafs. Uh, I assume Campbell's going to be okay, and the Leafs are just trying to bolster their goalie ranks. It is funny to think, though, that they think Sateri is going to be more useful to them than Petr Mrazek. So we'll see how this all shakes out. If I had a prediction, it would be that Sateri is not, uh, you know, some kind of uh, godsend in the crease for Toronto. But stranger things have happened. We've seen Eric Schalgren do really well. And if anything, this is just going to be something that's really fun to watch play out. That's I'm, I'm in it for the entertainment. And yeah, I'm going to stream in Harry Sateri for his first Toronto start. If it, if it could help my week, why not? Yeah, definitely will be fun to watch. And like you say, that, uh, you know, he was playing behind a strong defensive team in Finland. And maybe Toronto is now a strong defensive team now that they've traded for Mark Giordano. We'll have to see how that plays out. And by the way, Brian, I think it's the calculation is a little more complicated than just we expect Sateri to be more valuable than Morazic. I think that part of the calculus was if we waive Morazic, then we could afford to bring on Mark Giordano's contracts. There's probably a lot of stuff like that 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 go into it. But either way, here we are. We've got Sateri. We've got Mark Giordano. We've also got Colin Blackwell on the Leafs. Uh, who was the second piece of the deal in exchange for a couple seconds and a third. When I think of Mark Giordano, like right away, you know, people are going to be like, oh, he's going to be, you know, stuck behind uh, Morgan Riley, who's on the top power play. So Giordano probably loses value. But if you think about it, like Mark Giordano hasn't been getting that many points on Seattle on that top power play. And I think in terms of like a ceiling, I think of Jake Muzzin just last season on the Leafs, who paced for 42 points with solid hits, blocks, numbers. Like in most of my leagues last Last year, Jake Muzzin was rostered and was like a valuable depth defenseman in fantasy. So I think that's kind of like the upside we're seeing from Giordano. If he can put up a 40-ish point pace, that would be better than what he's doing in Seattle. And I feel like that could be doable on this like really strong offensive team. So I'm not saying that Giordano is going to explode. I don't think he has any chance of taking over from Morgan Riley for the top power play. But he is someone that I think is 
probably more valuable. I'm curious to get your take. Like, even though his role is diminished, I think he probably has more value now on Toronto than he did in Seattle, just because Toronto scores more goals. And also, like I said, Toronto does have that sweet, sweet playoff schedule for, like, depending on your format. But in the couple, all three weeks, the Leafs play three times. The quarterfinals, the semis, and the finals. So if Giordano is in your free agency, you need D, and your playoffs are the same as the Kevin Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, then I think he's someone that I would grab right now. Me too. I like your Jake Muzzin comparable. And I went to check out their minutes. And yeah, Giordano's been playing 21 and a half minutes on the left side in Seattle. And Muzzin was playing 21 minutes on the left side in Toronto. So it seems like it could be a minute for minute match and that the Leafs might be looking for a similar contribution from Giordano. Uh, like you said, Elon, Giordano's deployment doesn't improve, but he wasn't doing much with it anyway. And he is moving from a team that ranks 29th in team expected goals for per 60 minutes to the team ranked third in five on five expected goals for per 60 minutes, which bodes well for Giordano. He's going to be on the ice for more goals, might be more chances for him to get points. And while he loses top power played billing, I'm not that concerned that uh, he's going to go completely silent. And hey, this is another good opportunity for him to put up some, continue putting up some decent hit and block numbers. So I like your thinking, Elon, that if Giordano was dropped because he just wasn't worth it, um, you know, maybe he's still on the on the fringe of being worth it or not, but you might want to give him another go and see if he's rejuvenated and, and working a little harder to put up peripherals and gets in on a couple more goals than he would have in Seattle. Yeah, I'm kind of in a good situation in the Keeping Carlson Alta Patriot Fantasy League. I was bragging on our Patreon cast on Wednesday that I've clinched a buy, right? So I get to kind of think ahead. And so I've got Giordano actually stashed in my IR because he became IR plus eligible when he was sat for that last Seattle game. And I added Colton Pareko recently, who also plays a really good schedule in the playoffs. So my plan right now is to just sit back and watch these next couple of weeks, see if Giordano is good. If yes, maybe I'm going to end up dropping Pareko and activating Giordano. Maybe I'll keep both. I don't know. It's nice. He's someone that I definitely want to watch and see. So I Obviously, people don't have that opportunity now. He no longer is IR plus eligible, but I would give him a run if you have room in your lineup and you can use a D. Uh, also on the Leafs, Andre Kasha is injured again, so that's you know nothing new. But they did just acquire this Colin Blackwell, so who knows? Most likely, he's uh, just going to be a welcome addition to the bottom six. But you know, there's been a bunch of people who have been taking shots at Tavares and Nylander, just like we talked about on Florida. People taking turns playing with Barkov and Verhage. You know, we've seen a lot of names. Uh, why not give Colin Blackwell a try? I think it's possible. Hey, he's actually been on a nice run lately. Seven points in his last eight games with the Kraken. So I don't even like, need to ask you. Like, I like obviously we'll just have to wait and see the deployment. But like Blackwell, I feel like is a name that could potentially get in the top six. And then even then, like, I still wouldn't be like, you know, losing, tripping over myself to add him or anything. But he's, he could be an interest because just like we said about Giordano, he's playing on a team that scores more goals. Maybe he gets in on some of them. We've seen some big games from Mikhaev and players like that, uh, Kerfoot. We've seen a lot of bottom sixers on Toronto have big games. So it's definitely possible that uh, Blackwell can do it. But, you know, I'm not getting too excited about it. Exactly. That's exactly that's my takeaway too. Colin Blackwell, for anyone who thinks he sounds familiar, uh, we did uh, talk about him last season when he was playing with, believe it or not, Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin. I remember he actually did some good work for my rosters when I brought him in for one particular stream. The other times I tried to make it work, not so much. And that was in the top six, where in Toronto we expect him to be in the bottom six. So it's a little bit of a bummer because he was on a nice little run in Seattle and I wanted to see where it would go. I think the guy has at least middle mid, mid-six skill. 
Um, maybe top six upside. I think that's probably a stretch at this point of his career based on what we've seen so far. But uh, yeah, bottom line is Colin Blackwell, not someone you should be interested in. Take the swing on Owen Tippett instead. Yeah, and then we brought up a couple potential new top power play defensemen and Cam York, maybe Mackenzie Weger. So add to the list, Vince Dunn, because now that Giordano is gone from Seattle, now all of a sudden Vince Dunn is, I think, the guaranteed uncontested top power play quarterback for the Seattle Kraken for the rest of the season, maybe even beyond. He's actually on a nice run, five assists in his last four games. Uh, We're going to bring up more top power play defensemen at the end of the show. So let's just set a baseline here. Vince Dunn, like what are we expecting from him for the rest of the season? Is he someone that now we're interested in grabbing now that he's guaranteed to get this deployment and he's on a good run right now? It's really hard to say. We've talked about Vince Dunn. Sorry, it's hard to say I should qualify it because Vince Dunn has been in this position many times before with St. Louis and has not delivered, but occasionally he does. So should you be going to rush to add Vince Dunn? I don't think so. I don't think we're about to see a breakout come because, I mean, he couldn't displace Mark Giordano, who sure wasn't uh, doing very well himself on the top unit. Another reason to not be that excited about Vince Dunn is that Seattle has one of the worst power plays in the league. They sit uh, 29th in the NHL in power play conversion rate, converting on fewer than 15% of their chances, which is more than only Montreal, Philadelphia, and Arizona. Which is funny, right? Because we already mentioned Philadelphia, and we actually have the 28th ranked team's power play quarterback we're going to talk about later in the show. But a lot of power play quarterbacks suddenly available, uh, or new guys getting looks on some of the worst power play teams in the league. So you just have to balance one thing with the other. Vince Dunn is somebody who I'd now elevate to being someone I would stream into my roster. But he, again, is not the sort of player that I'm trying to make room for and saying, oh, Vince Dunn's on the top power play. I need this quarterback on my roster. Right, yeah. He's one of the many options we're going to bring up on this episode. I'm not expecting a ton, but maybe he could have some value, especially if Seattle has a good schedule in a given week. Brian, we've still got a lot to get to, but let's just take a quick break right now and thank a sponsor for this week's show. And those are our friends once again at HelloFresh. I've been thinking about it uh, today. And you know how like when you are playing fantasy hockey and there's all of these players available and you could like go in and like grab this player or that player to your team and hope it works out. You hope you know what you're doing. But like you, faithful listener of Keeping Carlson, you're like, no, how about I listen to this podcast that will help like cure which players I should be thinking about. Help me like think about like who are the good players, who are the bad players. Maybe even give me advice on how to put them together to make my fantasy team. That's kind of like what HelloFresh does for grocery shopping and for your meal cooking, right? Like instead of you having to go to the grocery store and figure it out for yourself, HelloFresh is going to send you pre-portioned ingredients right to your door with recipes. And these are going to be like farm fresh produce and, you know, all the good stuff. And so you get like convenience of getting all the good healthy food you need. You get the ingredients and you can make these like really delicious meals, just like how we're going to help you build this really delicious fantasy team that's going to win the championship. They're going to help you build these really delicious meals that you're going to impress your friends and family, you're going to eat healthy, and you're going to save some money, okay? Because it's uh, 72% cheaper, according to this document I have here, to eat your HelloFresh food rather than go to a restaurant and get a meal of the same quality. And you could save on average over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So that's money back in your pocket, according to a a Zagat dinner survey. Uh, So Brian, I think that our listeners, if they haven't yet, like you and I have been getting these HelloFresh boxes. I've been enjoying them. I've been making some great stuff. 
I like make I eat it. I'm like, this is, I made this. All right, okay, good for me. I can't believe I was able to cook and, and eat this delicious food. And our listeners can get the same experience with like a super sweet deal, right? You want to tell them what it is? Yeah, for sure. It's a super sweet and super savory deal. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash Carlson16, spelled like Eric's last name, use the code Carlson16 and you'll get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Like Elon said, we have uh, we've been getting a couple HelloFresh boxes sent to us lately and they're fun. And uh, they actually look like the picture when you're done, which I like. That works better for me than the usual recipe book uh, that I follow. My meals look nothing like the picture, but HelloFresh, nice little colorful touches and garnishes. You can really make it look picture perfect. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Carlson16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, try out America's number one meal kit. All right. And like I said, we are going to be back with all the rest of the trade coverage and some hot streaks, cold streaks, injuries, all the goods. In just a sec, you're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back, everyone, to Keeping Carlson. I think we've covered the most impactful trades for now. Once again, Ben and Lewis will cover the rest on a Wednesday morning's episode of Short Shifts. But we still got a few interesting ones that I wanted to get your take on. Let's go to Calgary next. They acquired Callie Yarncrock from Seattle for a second, third, and a seventh. This led to a very interesting line shakeup for Calgary's 5-2 win over Vancouver on Saturday as Tyler Toffoli jumped to the top line to play with Goudreau and Lindholm. Then Matthew Kachuk went to a line with Backland and Dubé, leaving Yarncroc on a pretty decent-looking line himself, paired with uh, Blake Coleman and Andrew Mangiapane. Yarncroc also skated on the second power play with those two line mates, and Yarncroc picked up a first-period assist in that game and also took three shots, threw two hits, even blocked a shot to go along with 11 face-off wins. So for those uh, deeper-league multi-cat people listening to the show, I think that Yarncroc is someone that would maybe interest me a little bit. Brian, how does Yarncroc compare to the, the Vitranos, like the Derek Broussard? I don't know. I figured that you were going to give Broussard a bit more love. I guess you didn't. But uh, how does like Yarncroc compare to these types of guys, like a 20% or lower rostered on Yahoo? He compares to them is what I'll say. Like, I think we're talking about a player in the in the same ballpark as these guys. Yarncroc isn't much of a shooter, but the line on him has always said he has some talent and upside that we'd love to see unleashed. The problem with Callie Yarncroc is that that upside is, I think, like, at what point do you stop saying a player has upside? Because Yarncroc is now age 30, and he's stepping into a mid-six role again, and I just don't know that his upside this time around is going to be any better than it has all the last times when, you know, he's been a high-end prospect trying to stick in a top six role. First, Detroit gave him to Nashville for what felt like for free. And then Nashville, like, he spent a lot of time there, had a couple, you know, nice little spurts there when he got up into the top six, but never hauled on there. And in Seattle, we thought that might be in a place Yarn Kroc could shine. But once again, it wasn't. This is a guy who sees top six-ish minutes but doesn't do a ton with them, and he doesn't shoot. So if we're comparing Yarncroak to anybody else that we're looking at today, you know, I even Frank Vitrano I'd prefer, because Frank Vitrano shoots, and Yarncroak's line looks very much like a third line with Coleman and Mangiapane, who are good guys, decent guys, to produce alongside with, but I'm just not seeing a whole lot more. Of course, moving from Seattle, there's more upside, because Seattle is one of the uh, least offensive teams in the league. And Calgary has a fantastic offense. Playing on the third line here is better than the second line in Seattle. But I'm still not getting that excited. Mostly, again, because Yarncroft just doesn't shoot 
a whole lot. So you're you're stuck with nothing when he doesn't get you points, which is more often than not. So I'm not that excited about Yarncock. If you're looking for points, though, I'm, I might take him to Vetrano. But if you're looking for someone to do something somewhere, then I'd take Vetrano because I, at least I have some faith that he's going to get you a couple shots. Yeah, in the cupful, we count shots. We don't count face-offs. So I think that's the answer. If your league counts face-offs, obviously you need to take that into account for Yarncock because he's pretty good there. All right, and let me, by the way, get in front of this and say, we're not worried about Matthew Kachuk. I don't want anyone to be like, uh-oh, Matthew Kachuk's off the top line should i be worried like he's a superstar okay he had a goal and two assists yesterday that brought him to 74 points in 62 games on the season brian do you think this kachuk jump to a near 100 point pace this season is for real like uh we've talked about some other players who've made like this big leap this year you know kyle connor like andre svechikov at times like you know right now uh, carolina can't score any goals so anyways we're talking about matthew kachuk like what would you project him for next season if we had to make an early call like is is he really like let's say not 100 but like would you be comfortable putting him for 90 like he's well beating right now yeah, I'd be very comfortable putting Kachuk for 90. We've never not thought Matthew Kachuk was for real. Every year, it seems like he's taking it up another notch. And we look into him and say, is he for real? And it's like, yeah, he is for real every time. And this year is no different for Matthew Kachuk, who's now proven he's a legit top line player. He spent all season alongside Johnny Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm. And not only has he been getting the deployment, like that's not all. Kachuk has upped his own game. His shot and shot attempt rates uh, have gone up and he's taken a huge step in individual expected goals rates, which basically means he's shooting more often from more dangerous places while he's on the ice. Matthew Kachuk is 24 years old. He's accomplished a lot for being 24 years old. And this is about when we might start seeing his big breakout happen. And I think it's fully here. And for what it's worth, uh, Kachuk has been part of a top line in Calgary that's the most productive one we've ever seen. And yes, more so than that big monaghan Gaudreau lindholm breakout that we had a few seasons back. This line with Kachuk instead of Monaghan is completely outperforming that trio, whether that's Kachuk's doing or the whole line's doing, or coaching. You know, credit can probably be shared around for it, but if you're wondering or questioning whether Matthew Kachuk is legit, yes, he is absolutely legit. And it's the same deal on the power play for Kachuk, by the way. Matthew Kachuk is already just one power play point shy of tying his career record of 24 power play points, which he got in 80 games. Like I said, he's one shy in 62 games played now with Matthew Kachuk pacing for 30 power play points on the season. The only thing, everybody likes a a healthy dose of, well, but really? And so I'll offer that here. I'm wondering if Kachuk's five-on-five line is seeing a bit too much shooting shooting success. Uh, They're converting at 11.5%, which isn't impossible. And elite lines do it. And so I guess my only question is, is this really an elite line, which is really something that we can only kind of anoint them as after we see them keep this up for enough of a sample size to be like, yep, they're keeping it up. Um, I think this line could keep it up, though, and I don't think it's total luck. That's the only reason I would start Kachuk conservatively at 90 points versus the 100 he's currently on pace for. But 100 points definitely seems possible. And uh, I think I think that's really exciting. I'm not about to also say, yeah, and you can add another 10 next year because I think Kachuk has already taken his big step to get to this 100-point pace this year, and I'm not sure he can take an equivalent size step next year. Because uh, I think of that's how much fine. He's- oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just don't expect 
so much more from Matthew Kachuk, but that's great because it means you can expect between 90 and 100 points. Uh, maybe I'll lean a little bit towards 90, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if he could get 100 again next season. Matthew Kachuk is a high-end talent who should probably go in the first couple rounds of your fantasy drafts. Yeah, last year, I think Brady Kachuk was getting taken ahead of Matthew in like all leagues, especially Bangers leagues, right? Like next year, I wonder how that'll go between the two because Brady's been good, but like not this good. Like this is a whole other level. And I see Kachuk on the second line in Calgary, a lot like when Pasternak was moved to the second line in Boston. We were like, oh, is that going to hurt him? And I was like, no, it, like he'll be fine. He's Matthew Kachuk. He's David Pasternak. I would draft Matthew ahead of Brady next year. Of course, it depends on the format. And in researching this, Matthew Kachuk's hits have gone down this year. So he's he's offering less bangers value. But you don't really care if he's outscoring his banging brother by 30 or 40 points, do you? So I would prefer Matthew to Brady. Interesting. Okay, so that'll be really fun to do these projections for next year. All right, next trade, we've got Hampus Lindholm moving from the Ducks to the Bruins in exchange for John Moore or who Vakaninen, who I know because Maddie and I have him in our Dynasty League, and uh, so three picks. So, okay, basically, obviously, the main player here is Hampus Lindholm, who also signed an eight-year, $6.5 million contract extension with the Bruins. Uh, so the 28-year-old Lindholm is going to be under contract until he's 36 years old. Lindholm has been having, like, a solid enough season, 22 points in 61 games, a 30-point pace, along with 55 hits, 77 blocks, which has made him, like, valuable in real life, of course, and that's why he's earned this contract, but, like, not so much in fantasy. Like, I've, I know people have streamed him in for, like, small stretches, especially back when Anaheim was scoring all of those goals. Yeah hasn't been too useful lately of course Boston scores more goals than Anaheim a lot like you know we were talking about how Toronto scores more goals than Seattle do you see Hampus Lindholm being worth grabbing like I know a lot of people have it you know it's like when anyone gets traded I feel like at the deadline you see their percent rostered like jumping up on Yahoo and like you see at the top of the list of the most added players like I'm not too optimistic about Lindholm being worth grabbing but I'm curious to know if you see things going any differently because definitely Boston is a more offensive team than Anaheim yes but I'm not that more optimistic about Lindholm in Boston as I am in Anaheim. It's been a rough few years for Hampus Lindholm in Anaheim where he hasn't looked as good as he once did. We once really liked his two-way abilities and he was asked to play more defensively than offensively and he did it really well until the last couple seasons. But I think some of that might have been because Lindholm was being paired this season with Jamie Drysdale, who's learning the ropes and a, a teenage defenseman in the NHL and needs Lindholm to, I think, compensate for uh, the the little learning errors that Drysdale's making as he gets acclimated to the bigs. And before that, Hampus Lindholm was partnered with Kevin Shattenkirk, who is not a really steady defensive partner and never has been. So with Drysdale and Shattenkirk having been Lindholm's most common defensive partners the last couple of years, I think that is what might have impacted Lindholm's effectiveness. In his years paired with Josh Manson, Lindholm looked much more like a legit top pairing option. And I think he could possibly get back there in Boston with a, a steady, solid partner. All that said, this is just analysis of Lindholm, the defensive player which has pretty much no fantasy impact on you. And I don't expect his fantasy impact to change, really. I'm not expecting much more from Lindholm in Boston offensively than I would have been in Anaheim. Yeah, I think the big impact here is probably poor John Gibson just goes from like having meager fantasy value, which has already been shrinking, to maybe even less now that they lose one of their top defensive defensemen. So good luck 
to uh, my fellow Gibson managers out there. One guy who I definitely don't expect to be affected is Charlie McAvoy, who's on a really nice run lately. One goal and four assists in his last five games, uh, where he's been having some big shot on goal games to boot as well. So got to imagine, yeah, Lindholm's going to be a complimentary guy. He, there's no chance he's usurping McAvoy on the top power play. Unfortunately, the news isn't all great for the Bruins. Patrice Bergeron has missed the last few games due to the reemergence of a previous arm injury. I saw that he's day-to-day and might come back next week, but this is obviously concerning in his absence like Jack Studnika came up to the team. He jumped to the top line with Marchand and DeBrusque on Friday versus Winnipeg. He actually assisted on a second period Marchand goal, but now he's injured after blocking a shot. So we'll have to see what the Bruins lines will look like in their next game. Regardless though, of who's playing with Marchand and DeBrusque at even strength, I think it's a time that we need to talk about Charlie Coyle, who, yeah, has been on the third line, but he's been playing on the top power play. He picked up three assists on Friday versus Winnipeg, and Coyle now has nine points in his last six games. So, Brian, like, regardless of, again, like, who we find out is going to be playing on the top line if Bergeron's still out, and even, let's say, regardless of Jake DeBrusque, who had that moment of being really appealing, but now has gone back to being Jake DeBrusque, only one assist over his last five games... I feel like Charlie Coyle is the clear, probably available Boston Bruins player that people should be jumping on while he's on this top power play because he's just been crushing it lately. For sure. And Charlie Coyle follows in the vein of Craig Smith and Eric Halla and Jake DeBrusque, who we've taken to. Remember when you were excited about Jake DeBrusque? He's a must-add. He's got great deployment. I was like, yeah. Uh, remember Smith and Halla? Now DeBrusque is basically in that list with them as somebody who got good deployment, got hot, and cooled down, and I expect things to look pretty similarly for Charlie Coyle. It's his turn now to do this. Um, just remember that good deployment does not equal a guarantee of production from any of these guys who have all had turns before and never done anything sustained. So Charlie Coyle, good short term, but not a must hold by any means. Yep, agreed. Good take, Brian, as per usual. Next, let's go to Tampa Bay, where the Lightning acquired Brandon Hagel and a couple of fourths for two firsts, Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish. Uh, so that's a huge haul for Chicago to get for Hagel, who, to be fair, had been having a fantastic sophomore season. 22 goals, 37 points in 55 games. I uh, John Newhold was dropping a funny take in the chat on Discord that maybe Tampa will still end up drafting better players with those fourths versus Chicago with those firsts, just because of how we've seen their scouting do recently. But yeah, in Saturday's game versus the Rangers, now as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Hagel slotted in on the third line with Ross Colton and Matthew Joseph. Which I think kind of says everything we need to know about what this means for Hagel's fantasy value for the rest of the season. I feel like it tanks and it goes from really high and he was looking really good in Chicago. And now he's just a middling guy on Tampa. Unless obviously there's the chance that he could like pull a Toffoli and start in the bottom six and like power play two, then shoot up the lineup like Toffoli did in Calgary. But I'd imagine this is all just about Tampa picking up a strong depth piece, but also killing that player's fantasy value, much like they did to Blake Coleman a couple seasons ago. Remember how good Coleman was? was looking in New Jersey. Then he went to Tampa and just lost all fantasy value. It was really frustrating for anyone who was enjoying Coleman's production. And uh, by the way, speaking of Hagel, uh, breaking news that I just told you that he had been playing with Matthew Joseph. That's not going to last any longer because Tampa just traded away Matthew Joseph and a fourth to get Nick Paul from the Ottawa Senators. 
So I guess that means that according to Tampa, Nick Paul is better than Matthew Joseph, which is not something I knew, but apparently that's the case. Brian, you're clearly a Nick Paul expert since you're a big Sens fan. Uh, so what do you, what's your take on Hagel and Nick Paul going to the Tampa Bay Lightning? Feel free to do this very quickly if you think there's not much to say, but is there anything here or are these the new, I guess, like Coleman and Barkley Goudreau and they're not going to be worth anything in fantasy? Exactly. That's it. You want to be keep it short? That's it. This is the new Coleman and Gaudreau, and I guess Gord to some extent, except I don't think either of these guys has the eventual offensive upside that Yanni Gord held. These are players built to play on a third line that is going to be uh, tougher to play against than most third lines in the league that aren't going to make any gargantuan mistakes while they're on the ice and are also going to be generally just playing it safe. And, and solid and steady. So they're not on there to score some goals. Maybe they'll grab one the way, you know, Corey, Corey Perry and Pat Maroon occasionally get a goal in Tampa. But there is no fantasy value to be found here on this line. Yeah, too bad. This is probably one of the players that has the biggest hits from the trade deadline in Brandon Hagel, because he was looking really good and was rostered in like all of my leagues. And now I expect to see him hit free agency very soon. Uh, by the way, over in Chicago, I'm seeing that they're playing Winnipeg right now. And Taylor Radish has scored a power play goal assisted by Patrick Kane and Dylan Strom. So I guess Radish is on. Yeah, he's been on the top power play with Debrinket, Kane, Strom, and uh, Seth Jones. So I guess keep your eye on Taylor Radish as someone who potentially takes over the Brandon Hagel spot. All the production that Hagel had, maybe Radish can get it. So uh, I don't know. Well, let's wait and see on that. I won't bug you about Taylor Radish, but obviously it's something that we should be paying attention to. Uh, back on Tampa, they've been running some interesting lines lately. Like most of the time, we've been used to them going with Kucherov, Point, and Palat, but that wasn't the case in Saturday's game. They were rolling with Stamkos, Kucherov, and Killorn on one line, and then Point, Palat, and Anthony Sorelli on, I guess, the second line. And I mean, this shakeup makes sense. The three stars on the team have been somewhat cold lately, right? Kucherov only two points in his last five games. Stamkos had three assists versus to Seattle, but no points in his other four recent games. And Braden Point does have three points in his last two games, but was pointless in four games before that. Brian, any thoughts on these superstars that are, that's like worth sharing before we talk about the depth guys? Like, I feel like we're past the trade deadline in most leagues, so it's like, what can you really say about Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point? Like, you're not going to drop them. But like, I don't know, any words to explain like why they went cold and if there's any reason to be concerned? No, there's nothing. Uh, there's there's nothing worth digging into here. Nothing you're gonna turn up about reasons for concern for a cold Stamkos and Kucherov. We did actually have a question though recently, and I don't know if it's because of this this cold run over on our Discord server for patrons, keepingcarlson.com/patron. By the way, someone was asking, has JT Miller surpassed Steven Stamkos as a keeper candidate? And the answer was generally yes. I thought it was a fun question. I've never really been asked about those players back-to-back. And with JT Miller's kind of ascent into legit stardom, he's passing some guys on the way. And I do think Steven Stamkos is one of them. So that's not uh, related to the cold streak that Stamkos is on right now, necessarily. That's more related to Stamkos's age and injury history and JT Miller being on the up-and-up and doing so well with kind of so little in Vancouver this year. Uh, but that's a uh, that's that was just an excuse for me to bring up that question. Elon, do you agree? JT Miller over Steven Stamkos as a keeper? 
Yeah, we talked about Miller last episode. I made the analogy that I think he's looking like a Brad Marchand career trajectory with this explosion this year. Maybe Stamkos is like a safer pick for next year. Like if one of them is going to fall off, I think it's more likely to be Miller. But I also think at this point, Miller probably has the higher upside and for longer. So if you're thinking more than just next year, but a few years down the road, then yeah, Stamkos is definitely more likely to fall off, maybe just due to like having another injury or something like that. But okay, uh, back to Tampa quickly. I did want to talk about the three other top sixers that are not the superstars that maybe you do have to start making some decisions about like Andre Palat has only one assist in his last nine games now like I said he's been split from Kucherov and you know also from Stamkos like as he played with sometime last year like I like Palat's had some success over these past couple of seasons he's been really good at times I'd imagine all of this success has come playing either with Kucherov or Stamkos. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I feel like now that he's playing on a line with Point and Sorelli and he's got only one assist in his last nine games and he's off the top power play, just like I'm not seeing a reason to hold on to Andre Palat unless you're in a super deep league. Do you think he's the kind of guy that if you drop because he's cold, you'll end up regretting it? Or do you think he's like fine to let go and not worry about I think it's definitely fine to let go of Andre Palat. You're making me, like, this is a, you know, don't make me tap the sign kind of moment for Palat. It's all I've said about him for the last few years. Even with primo deploymento, Andre Palat is a 50-55 point guy, unless he's on the top power play, where he hasn't even really had a sniff of for the last 20 games or so. Uh, So away from some of the best players at 5-on-5, Palat becomes even less interesting. He's a decent hockey player, but he is not a production driver. And that's why I think you are safe to let go of Andre Palat. I feel like a real wet blanket this episode, Elon. I feel like, you know, usually I try and find a few guys to get myself worked up and excited about. I'm just, there just isn't that right now. Let's keep trying. Yeah, I think you said something positive about Matthew Kachuk. So that was good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's kind of easy. I would love to say, you know, like find a Trevor Moore type amongst these players. We still got more to go. We got more to go. We'll get there. Well, here's another one, though, that maybe it'll be a wet blanket on or maybe not. But Alex Killorn is the other guy I wanted to bring up. He's in a sweet spot right now. Top line, top power play. And that top line is with Stamkos and Kucherov, which at one point would have been considered one of the best spots in the league. Now there's obviously a few contenders there. Uh, but And he had a power play assist, by the way, on Braden Point's uh, goal yesterday. But that was only Killorn's third point in 10 games. He got dropped in our Keeper League, Brian. And, like, you know, I was, I'm not thinking about Keeper implications. I'm just thinking about, you know, for the fantasy playoffs. I bid $5 fab on him. I got him uncontested. I could have bid zero. I kind of feel like Killorn has some value with his deployment and with that great run he had earlier in the year. I know he's cold, but are you with me that maybe there's still something here and he's worth at least rostering? Or do you think that maybe I wasted my five fab and I should have just like maybe go to free agency then stream him in when he plays? Otherwise, don't worry about it. I think it was a good shot for you to take on Alex Killorn. There you go. I already have something more positive to say. You know, he's he's still on the top power play. That's good. Uh, one fun thing about Alex Killorn this season, do you know he's seeing a five-year high in time on ice per night at five on five at 32 years old? Yes, Alex Killorn getting a ton of deployment. And look, I think he's overperformed a bit at five on five to get to his 60 point pace. And he hasn't taken massive advantage of this privileged power play one spot that he's gotten. But Killorn is playing with Stamkos and Kucherov at five on five and on the power play. That's pretty hard to pass up. So Elon, I think you were justified in going out to get Alex Killorn. And uh, I would hold on to him. I wouldn't ditch him just because no one else wanted him. And if he's available in your league and it's deep enough, as deep as the cup full, I would definitely take a look at Alex Killorn. 
Okay, so let's go now to some injuries. We're done with our trade analysis for at least this episode. Uh, so obviously, we already talked about Aaron Ekblad. That's the biggest name that went down this past week. We've got a couple other teams that got some bad news on the D front this past week. Ben and Lewis already discussed how Thomas Shabbat will be out for the season for the Ottawa Senators. It's been three games now for Eric Brandstrom as the new top power play guy. He had a power play assist in one of those three games. He's had six shots in those three games. Only one hit or one block in each of those games uh, so unfortunately like the increase in ice time hasn't led to more peripherals as what sometimes happens with some defensemen I guess not with Brandstrom of course we're potentially in line for some more offense coming to Ottawa Drake Batherson is potentially slated to return later this week so Brian uh, now that we're going to go back to comparing players to our our Cam Yorks and our I don't know, who were we talking about before? Vince Dunn, like new top power play defenseman. So add Brandstrom now to the list. Are you excited about him? And do you think he's worth grabbing in leagues now that he's going to be the top power play defenseman? Like, is there any chance that he can come close to what Shabbat was doing, which isn't like amazing, but definitely, you know, worth having on your team? Eric Brandstrom has had a lot of opportunities with Ottawa and he has not impressed the organization at all. He's, he, at the start of the season... And last year, for much of the last two years, Brandstrom has been getting passed over for call-ups and time on ice and opportunities. This is the way Brandstrom has been going in Ottawa, and he's only getting chances now, well, because Shabbat is out and there's nobody else to play ahead of him. And this is a surprising turn of events for Eric Brandstrom because he was once a blue-chip prospect. He was drafted 15th overall in 2017 by the uh, then-barely-existent Vegas Golden Knights, Uh, They actually drafted Brandstrom with the Islanders' first-round pick, which the Islanders traded to Vegas, along with Mikhail Grabowski, Jake Bischoff, and another pick to ensure Vegas took J.F. Barubi. There's that name again in the expansion draft. Um, So Vegas took J.F. Barubi, and they took that pick that turned into Eric Brandstrom and dealt him to Ottawa in exchange for Mark Stone, at which point Pierre Dorian famously said that was the best day of his career, trading Mark Stone. And everyone's like, in Ottawa, like, what? What are you talking about? This is the best day of your career. You're ending our core here. But he meant more getting Brandstrom, but he's never been the greatest communicator. Uh, But unfortunately, since Dorian was so excited about acquiring Brandstrom on that day, there's been a lot of bad days for Eric Brandstrom in the organization since then. The upshot here... As was mentioned um, by you, Elon, about Batherson returning and in a chat we had on our Discord server um, about where Brandstrom goes from here is that his opportunities to date this year happened largely while uh, Josh Norris and Drake Batherson were on the shelf. And as we detailed on the show, even Brady Kachuk was struggling in that time that Norris and Batherson were out. So maybe this is a fresh chance for Brandstrom to take advantage. I think it's hard to do uh, really great things when the coach and the organization have not signaled at all that they are willing to be patient with you and that they are so unimpressed with you. So we'll see. My hunch is that Brandstrom's talent is still there. It's just a matter of whether he can put it out there for all to see in his current situation. I think he's definitely worth a look for sure as someone uh, who could be a solid, you know, third or fourth defenseman option on your fantasy roster. Uh, Keep in mind, though, the Sens also just traded for Travis Hammond 
So who knows? Maybe he'll get top power play time because that oh, would man. make about as much sense as the Sens trading for Travis Hamanick. But I really don't think that's going to happen. I think Brandstrom is is going to get a shot to show where this pedigree came from, for him coming up as an offensive defenseman on the rise. And I would prefer him to Cam York, and I'd prefer him to Vince Dunn as a defenseman that I could plop onto my fantasy team and hope he delivers. Yeah, I think I'm with you, especially once they get Batherson back. I think it will be really exciting to see what this top power play can do with a healthy, like, Kachuk Norris, Batherson, and then Eric Branstrom there on the back end. And then in L.A., we already talked about this last week, but the news on Drew Doughty is even worse now. The latest from Darren Drager is that Doughty's injury is more significant than originally thought, and now it's likely he's going to be out a while. And when you say a while at this point of the season, that might be just be the rest of the season, right? So let's check back in on the Kings. Last week, we looked at Sean Dursey and Jordan Spence. We were talking about who will maybe get the top power play job if there's any value there. Seems like we've got our answer. It's Sean Dursey, who's held the job over the last four-ish games, is looking like a pretty decent option for fantasy right now. He has three assists over these last four games, two of them on the power play. He's also taken nine shots, eight hits, seven blocks in these last four games. So, Brian, I guess let's just keep comparing. You've said Brandstrom is at the top of the list for you. Does top power play in LA, Sean Dursey, who gets a few more peripherals, are the peripherals enough to put him over your hometown top power play quarterback, Eric Brandstrom. No, they're not. It's nice to see. And of course, this happens after we gave Jordan Spence our stamp of approval over Sean Dersey. But I did mention, you know, we talked about you don't want the Seattle power play quarterback because Seattle's 29th in the league on the power play. You don't want the Philly quarterback because they're 31st. Well, LA is 28th in the league in power play conversion rates. And that's why I'm not getting super excited about Sean Dersey, even though he's holding the role. It's nice that he has a couple peripherals to offer, but I would still be more into Eric Brandstrom for the upside. Hmm. Okay. I guess I'm with you. I also like the shots that Dersey's taking over Brandstrom. I could see that one going either way. I think it's closer between the two. But obviously, this is a, a really hard coin flip. We haven't really seen either of them in this role for long. And Brandstrom is the one who at one time was this like exciting prospect. But I don't know. I'll be curious to check back in on this one, I guess. Let's see if there'll be even another name that you're interested in. I guess here's a name that obviously is better than all these top power play quarterbacks, but he's back now, finally, after missing a bunch of time with injury. Tony D'Angelo, back for the Carolina Hurricanes today. He jumped right back to the top power play in this game where the Hurricanes got shut out by the Rangers. And what did he do? So obviously no points. He did play on the top power play, played 17 minutes, which isn't even that great, 17 minutes and a half, two shots, so... You know, maybe he was just being eased in. I think he was getting a lot more ice time back before he got injured. Uh, one player, there's not really that much to ask about this. Like, Tony D'Angelo, I'm sure, will be fine. I wouldn't, like, drop him or be concerned about this one return game. One player that I am starting to get a little concerned about, or at least uh, we've had people asking us to discuss him because they're concerned about him, is Tavo Teravainen. I feel like it was just a couple weeks ago that you and I were talking about him on the show, and I was like, wow, Terrifying is like even better than I thought. Like He's taking so many shots, which isn't something that I saw him do much of before. We really like lauded him, and I think I jinxed him, because as soon as I brought him up on the show, and then you talked about how you agreed with how great he is, he's been really cold. He only has one assist in his last six games now. What's going on with Tavo Terrifying? Should people be worried? I don't think people should be nervous about Terrifying. In the, in the big picture... He's on a 70-point pace, which is about what we would have expected, even though he has had some runs this season where he's had fewer points than we would have thought, and that's because he's seeing some bad variants at 5-on-5 on the whole, okay? So he's seen a 43% points participation rate, which is terrible. Like, forwards do not do 
that badly in getting in on goals scored while they're on the ice. Usually Teravainen gets in on 70% of the goals while he's on the ice, and I would expect that to balance out and regress. Teravainen's also shooting just 6% instead of the 10 to 12% that he's used to shooting over the last few seasons. The good news for Teravainen is that he's making up for a lot of this five-on-five bad variance. Like, the reason you haven't been asking this question more through the season, Elon, is because he has already set a career high in 56 games played of 25 power play points, and Teravine is pacing for 37 power play points on the season. That said, uh, I know you're concerned about the last five games, and he's only taken seven shots in those five games, which to me is a bit of a red flag. Um, But the two shotless games came on the front end of this, and since then, he has seven shots in his last three, which isn't perfect, but that is still about normal. If the zeros kept coming up in the shots column for Teravainen, I'd be more concerned, but he's already moved on from those. So I don't think there's anything to worry about. In fact, I think Teravainen has probably deserved a slightly better pace than the 70-point pace he's on right now. And if it weren't for bad variants, we'd be seeing maybe even a career year from Teravainen. But now you're wondering if there's anything wrong with him. Short answer, there isn't. And I would just keep the faith. Yeah, he was still playing on the top line with Aho today. He was off that for a bit, but like, well, they got shut out. So maybe they'll change it again for the next game. But he's like on the top power play. He's getting the good deployment. The shots are down a little bit. But yeah, I think he's earned enough leash. I agree with you that you can't be too concerned about Teravinen just yet, though. It's never fun when your star players go cold right before your fantasy playoffs. It makes you a little nervous. Hopefully he'll figure things out and get back on a roll. Carolina as a team, right, needs to figure out how to score some more goals. And hopefully they'll figure that out, uh, Go, you know, soon. I guess maybe today they probably played fine. I haven't like seen any analysis. They took like 40 plus shots on Georgiev. They just couldn't get anything by him. Sometimes you just have bad luck. You run into a hot goalie. Uh, another outjury I wanted to discuss. We're in the outjury section of the show, by the way, for those of you keeping track. Uh, James Reimer returned for the Sharks last week, uh, right in time for Aiden Hill to be announced that his injury is worse than expected, which is kind of weird and too bad. Like Aiden Hill came back from injury, had a shutout. Then they were like, oh, he's hurt again. And now he's like worse than expected. So who knows when he'll be back. But luckily for San Jose, James Reimer is back. And it looks like he's just pulled off a another win today a really good game against arizona san jose won four to two and reimer stopped 23 of the 25 shots he faced uh before today reimer was up to a 916 save percentage on the season so i think for the shark like i think he's really good i think he's going to be a volume guy especially while aiden hill is out it's just a matter of if his body can hold up if he can i think he could be a potentially really valuable volume goalie for anyone who has them on their fantasy team uh, I don't know, Brian, if you have any thoughts on him. Maybe I'll also throw out uh, another thing that I don't know really what there is to say, but Tomas Hurdle uh, secured that eight-year, $8 million per year contract. Uh, so obviously this recent stretch, seven points in his last five games going into today, probably helped secure that contract. And now he's got it for the next eight years. So congrats to Tomas Hurdle. I'm curious to get what your thoughts here, because I know you're generally someone who, you know, can be critical of teams who maybe, you know, spend way too much money than they should on a player who's like heading into like away from their most productive years hurdles 28 years old right now maddie and i actually have him in our dynasty league so i really am interested to get your thoughts on whether or not we should hold on to him because once next year starts we're stuck with this contract for eight years how many of those years do you think he'll continue to be as valuable as he was this year he's been super clutch for us because he's getting all these points as we all know but also he's been a clutch face-offs guy but you know if he falls back to being a 50 point guy or less at some point then obviously that'll be very concerning well, Hurdle's going to be 29 years old a month into next season, and that means you can probably expect another, I don't know, three to five really good years from him. He's a top-line centerman that the Sharks will rely on as they continue to do 
uh, well, whatever it is that they're doing. I don't know if they're contending, hedging, just trying to be a bubble team. I don't know what the plan is for San Jose, but I, it looks like Tomas Hurdle is a part of it. He's a legit good player. And yeah, San Jose is going to really need to lean on him for face-offs, as you mentioned. Uh, Couture is 32 years old already. Benino's 33 years old. There's no apparent centers uh, on the horizon that are going to come up and play a big role in the top six. So that's good news for dynasty managers with hurdle, because that seems like he is slated to be uh, leading this top line, especially if San Jose isn't giving up and, you know, not falling into lottery picks where they might draft another centerman who might take time from Tomas hurdle. That's not appearing to happen either. So I don't think I would turf Hurdle and figure that maybe by the end of his deal, you know, the $8 million is going to feel like, I don't know, $6 million feels today, which is more manageable to deal with if you get stuck with him on your roster. Hurdle's a good player. Lots of face-offs, going to play a big role with the Sharks. Could hold it like a 70-ish point plateau, and he should be okay. If I were you, I would hold on in my Dynasty League. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll just worry about winning the next couple of seasons, and then if he ends up being a bit of an anchor, then whatever. I'll give a pick along with Hurdle, and someone will probably take his contract for me. I guess that's how it usually works. And yeah, for the Sharks, I don't know, I guess they're hoping that William Eklund is going to come in next year, be a big impact guy, and maybe they can still take a run while their core here is still good. Like, I guess Couture, Burns, Carlson, and Hurdle... Meyer, of course, like they have some good players. They just have like a problem with with the depth around those guys. And even uh, James Reimer is showing himself to be a pretty good goalie. So they just need to kind of fill up that depth. And obviously, someone like Eklund could hopefully help with that. As long along with uh, my guy, who I forget what was it, Jacob, the guy who I added to my dynasty team. I already forget his name. He, he Magna. got an assist. He got Did an he? assist since you said that Jacob Magna is on the board tonight. Maddie, are you listening to this, buddy? I recommended to to add him. I'm a brilliant genius. What can I say? I'm not even, oh yeah, on a Timo Meyer goal. Look at that. What are his peripherals today? Two blocks, three hits. Mwah! Jacob Magna, everybody. Anyway, okay. So another goalie that's returned recently is Jake Allen, who uh, Ben and Lewis talked about on short shifts. And I will concur with them that this is looking like a guy that's going to be another volume goalie, just like James Reimer. So here's the part of the podcast where we're recommending potential goalies that might be available in free agency that I think are going to be in line for a lot of games coming up. The question is how good they'll be. And Jake Allen you know, had some troubles earlier in the season and probably wasn't all his fault considering how terrible Montreal was. This is a whole new Montreal team, right? This is the Martin St. Louis version of the Montreal Canadiens that are that are decent. And Allen's played two games so far. He led in four goals on 35 shots versus Dallas and an OT loss on Thursday. And you know how I feel about those OT goals again. So I'm going to consider this a three goals against game, which is very good. And then on Saturday, he stopped 29 of 30 versus the Sens for a 5-1 win. So two good starts for Allen. Are we basically, Brian, in line? Like, are, are you, do you concur that at this point, it's like Sam Montembeau, forget about him, maybe he'll play on back-to-backs. Allen, as long as he's healthy, is going to play the majority of the games and maybe even will be a little better than he was in the first half of the year since now it's a better version of the Montreal Canadiens since the coaching change? Uh, yeah, better version in some ways. The defense isn't better, but Jake Allen sure seems like the only semi-quasi-stable option 
in net for Montreal. So they're probably pretty happy to have him, even just as like a recognizable name with some career track record. And Montreal has a marginally better defense to offer Jake Allen upon his return. They had the 29th ranked defense in the league, and I'm going by expected goals against uh, before Marty St. Louis was uh, introduced as the head coach. Uh, Montreal has jumped a little. They're now 24th in the league uh, since St. Louis was hired, uh, with a visible but not-so-substantial improvement in their expected goals against numbers. So Allen is playing behind a slightly better defense, which may be Marty St. Louis. It may just be noise, but the other thing that Allen might have going for him that he didn't before Marty St. Louis was hired is that uh, the share of expected goals while Montreal is on the ice, they're seeing a higher percentage of it. They ranked 31st in the league before and their share of expected goals going by percentage. And now they rank 18th, and that speaks to the improvement more in Montreal's offense. And hey, run support helps, right? So that's good news for Jake Allen. Maybe a little closer to being able to pick up a win. Still going to be a challenging task on this Montreal team, but Jake Allen at least has a, a slightly easier path to it than he did before. Yeah, and hey, the thing with the cup full or in leagues that count volume, even if the defense isn't amazing, that might even be good because it's lots of shots against as long as they don't totally, you know, expose the goalie and the goalie ends up like letting in a bunch of goals and giving you a minus. Uh, over in Montreal also, they've had some other outjuries. Actually, not only Jake Allen, uh, Christian Dvorak is back, Jonathan Drouin is back, but it seems like all these guys are nobodies at this point. Kind of seems like the only line that matters in Montreal right now is that Suzuki, Caulfield, Anderson line and uh, Cole Caulfield. Wow, like he's been amazing lately he scored in four straight games he now has 12 goals in his last 17 games he only had one goal in 30 games before that uh brian out of curiosity how many goals do you think cole caulfield could have scored this season if martin st louis was the coach right from the start 50 no i'm kidding i mean i I don't know i don't know how many goals but we did say when marty st louis was hired that this was a good opportunity for cole caulfield to step up and, uh, I mean, I don't know that I could claim that I knew it was going to be this good an opportunity, but now, since Marty St. Louis was hired, Cole Caulfield has 12 goals in 17 games at 10 assists for 22 points. He is scoring on 23% of his shots, which is, we don't know yet exactly where Cole Caulfield is going to shoot. If I had to guess, he's probably scored on nearly twice as many shots as we could expect him to going forward. But on the whole, Cole Caulfield's It's looking pretty good, and it's nice to see any kind of success after the start to the season that he had. So uh, if you were able to grab him at the start of this run, congratulations. You've got someone really helpful to you through your fantasy playoffs. Yeah, man, kicking myself. Available, I'm sure, to everyone listening. He was available in free agency in like all of our leagues except for Dynasty Leagues. And some people were smart and got him at the right time, and now you're getting a guy who scores goals every single game. So congratulations. Uh, over in Edmonton, we're still in outjuries here. Yessi Puliarvi returned to the Oilers last week, jumped right to the second line with Dreisaitl and Hyman. He was pointless versus Buffalo, but picked up two assists versus New Jersey on Saturday. Unfortunately for Yessi, it looks like he's lost his top power play job, at least for now, to Kyler Yamamoto, who's on a hot run, like Ben and Lewis discussed on the last episode. Uh, seven points in five games now for Yamamoto, playing with McDavid and Evander Kane at even strength, and on the top power play with those guys, Dreisaitl and Barry. 
four games for Edmonton in each of the next two weeks. So now would be a good time to grab an Oiler. I would say Puliyarvi or Yamamoto, if they're available, make for interesting grabs. Of course, there's no way to know what the lines will look like, like eight games from now. Like a lot can change on the power play and at even strength. But Brian, if both of these guys were available between Puliyarvi and Yamamoto, who would you grab going into this big schedule over these next couple of weeks? Yeah, these lines can change all the time. And it's kind of funny that uh, Yamamoto is now the one ahead of Puliyarvi in this like race for deployment because we knew Hyman and Kane were going to be guys who were competing for spots on that top unit and alongside McDavid and Dreisaitl, but didn't see Yamamoto wiggling in there ahead of Pugliarvi. I think my hunch is that Pugliarvi is going to get his shot back uh, at some point over this next stretch of games. He was doing really well before being injured, showing his worth, uh, doing a good job of hanging on, even with Evander Kane and Zach Hyman coming into the picture. Uh, Of course, that was after a really long extended coal streak where he did almost nothing for a good 15 games or so. And so maybe he needs to earn it back a little bit more. Um, Honestly, I think it's a coin toss about whether Pugliarvi or Yamamoto gets gets the better deployment from uh, over this next stretch of Edmonton schedule, I would lean Pool Yarvi as the guy I would add to my team just because I've seen him do more with this deployment than I've seen Yamamoto do with this deployment. So that's kind of a bet that one, Pool Yarvi will get his deployment back, and two, uh, that uh, he'll actually do well enough to hold on to it once he gets that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with you because it's just so hard to predict. Right now, Yamamoto's in the better spot. But like you said, there's definitely the possibility that that changes soon. But I think if either of them are available, you'd want to take a look going into two big schedule weeks for the Oilers. Speaking of the Oilers, another top power play defenseman who definitely is not in the same caliber as most of the guys we've talked about. Maybe he's in the same conversation as D'Angelo, but maybe even better right now. Tyson Berry, all of a sudden on a heater after he was like, seemed like such a bust for the majority of the season. Now he's on a run of eight points in his last five games. He's had at least, or he's had exactly one power play point in each of those last five games where this run has been going. Man, like, I traded him earlier in the year. I was feeling so smart about what I did. Now, all of a sudden, going to my fantasy playoffs, it's like, man, I wish I kind of had Tyson Berry back. (laughs) But, like, at this point, like, we should just expect this to continue to some extent, right? Like, he's clearly in Coach Woodcroft's good graces. I don't think we have to worry about Bouchard or whoever taking Barry's spot. It seems like things are working. We're already almost done the season. There's no point in the Oilers changing things up now, I wouldn't think. So, I don't know. What do you think? Is Barry just going to keep this up? And, like, obviously, anyone who held on, or if he's available, like, rush to grab him immediately because he's clicking right now on that top power play? Compared to the other options we've shared on the show tonight, I would rush to grab Tyson Barry if it's him alongside all those other guys. Like you said, Elon Barry has a power play point in five straight games, even though we still should point out he's still ceding some top unit time to Evan Bouchard, and Barry is still playing fewer minutes on average than last year. So I, I think it's a mix of things here that Barry is on a bit of a hot streak, but at least is doing something, again, which we shouldn't overlook and just say, oh, it's not going to last. I would just be watching Tyson Berry's shots on goal. He had nine shots over a seven-game stretch before putting up eight shots in his last two games. So I would be watching, like, every single signal we have on Tyson Berry. I would add him and then watch these signals closely. I'd watch shots, minutes, top power play deployment, because all of it 
seems pretty all over the place. There is not a lot of pattern to be found in either of those things. So I'd go grab Tyson Barry and then monitor closely and see if any of those pieces fall off so much that I think they're going to lead to him not being able to continue producing, then I'll dump him. But in the short term, I will take Tyson Barry and see how far this goes. Yeah, I mean, we saw last year he was like, you know, one of the top defensemen in fantasy just because of his offensive contributions. He's in the same spot. I like that the new coach isn't burying him like the last one was. So, yeah, I mean, hard not to like him right now. Uh, by the way, I did, we're seeing in the chat here, Shams is pointing out that Elias Pettersson is back today for Vancouver. So that's cool. I'm seeing the warm up lines here for this game that's about to start versus Buffalo. Pettersson with Horvat and Besser and JT Miller with Garland and Tanner Pearson. So, once again, like we said in the last episode, you want those guys with exposure to JT Miller at this point. So Pearson and Garland make for decent streamers. Anyways, Brian, let's end the show with a couple of cold streaks. Uh, so we had a tweet from Scuba Steve uh, asking, at Keeping Carlson, any insight on hints in Dallas? Tyson Barry's out there. I'm thinking of making a swap. Uh, so he asked this before Dallas's game today where Rupe Hintz scored a couple of power play goals. I promise that I already wrote my script for this show here before that game where I was going to ask you, there's no way we're concerned about top line, top power play Rupe Hintz, right? And obviously today's game, I think, answered the question, but you could always go in and also comment on how Rupe Hintz is definitely not someone you drop. Though, I mean, if you're in a league shallow enough that Tyson Barry is available and if you need D... Like, I, I also recommend you get Tyson Barry, Scuba Steve. So I don't know. I guess you need to send us a screenshot of your roster and we can try to recommend what you do here. But uh, I, it's very hard to recommend dropping Rupe Hints in any format. Before he did his thing tonight, I would say don't drop Rupe Hints. We've had this question come up a few times this season. And I, I feel like Hints is still this fantasy blind spot where people don't trust him. And maybe it's because last year uh, he was so inconsistently in the lineup and the year before that he was inconsistently scoring and still coming onto the scene. But Rupe Hintz, albeit in limited time last season, 43 points in 41 games. This season, he's doing it again. He's on a 71-point pace. Huge power play contributions. There's nothing I don't like about Rupe Hintz. So if you're asking me whether to drop him, uh, my answer will certainly be no, unless something changes in the next little while. But he's 25 years old. I think this guy's just getting started and is going to be a fantasy stalwart for at least another five, six years. Yeah, or at le- let's say at least, for sure at least, while that line of Pavelski, Robertson, and Hintz is clicking. And like yeah, Pavelski's true. just gotten extended for another year. So uh, who knows? Like Maybe when there's a new center. Anyways, I, I wouldn't be worried, though. Or, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. Basically, I just wanted to say that thing about Pavelski. I don't even know why. By the way, on Dallas, Jake Ettinger, good for him, getting the win today over Washington because he's been struggling a lot lately. But going into today, he had led in three-plus goals in six of his last seven games. And the other game, he led in two. So add today, another game letting in two. But this was a good start. I wonder if Ettinger managers were starting to get concerned because he's been struggling. Braden Holtby still injured, so Ettinger's been getting all the starts. I wonder if it was maybe too much for him to get such a big volume of starts. You know, he's still a young goalie. He's probably not used to this kind of thing, especially in the NHL. Uh, but a good game today. So I don't know, Brian, what do you think about Jake Ettinger? I'm sure you wrote the answer to what you were predicting from him before the game today as well. So what were you going to say about Jake Ettinger uh, when predicting how he'll do in his next games, including the 3-2 win he just had over Washington? I was going to say, it's good to notice that Ettinger's play has been declining, and it's not a bad theory that he might be getting tired. He's started 17 of the last 19 games for Dallas. He started seven in a row before being given his last break. Now he's up to six in a row with another start tonight. We don't see many goalies get this workload anymore, especially as a rookie. 
So why is he doing badly with it? Well, I think fatigue is a good guess. As I said, there's a noticeable downswing in Edinger's five on five numbers over this stretch, but it could also just be a bad run. And we haven't seen enough to know which of which of the other it is, but it's great to see that Edinger got back to on track tonight because I, I still think he's good and I hope he's got enough gas in the tank to keep running with all the starts that he keeps getting given. I think Dallas will give him as much as he can handle because look to next year, they might be trying to test him out and see, hey, how much of a workhorse can this kid be? Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what they do as their backup next year. Braden Hopi, I guess, was someone that could be traded at the deadline at some point. But I guess now that Kudobin is like injured for the season, they had surgery. So I guess they're going to hold on to Hopi and hope that they can go on a run and sneak into the playoffs. Uh, let's end in Pittsburgh, where Lewis, Lewis is here in the chat. Lewis, I'm doing this for you because I saw in the Vent channel on our Discord server where people could just go in and complain about things. Lewis has been very upset with how the Pittsburgh Penguins have him playing Brian Rust on the second line away from Crosby and Gensel where he was so successful all year but lately Russ has been playing with Malkin and Danton Heinen and Evan Rodriguez has jumped onto the top line playing with Crosby and Gensel Rust had an assist yesterday which is nice but that was his first point in four games so Brian like uh, anything you can say to make Lewis feel better or is he right that as long as Rust is off that top line his value goes down because he was doing so well like over a point per game so you know I mean uh, you're not happy when your point per game guys all of a sudden going with only one assist and four. These shifted lines in Pittsburgh really aren't working for anyone. In the last four games, Sidney Crosby is the only Penguin with more than two points in the last four games, but the team has won three of those four games, so maybe there's no rush. You know, Brian Rust is good enough to figure it out from anywhere. I really believe that, and so is Evgeny Malkin. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it's not as optimal as letting Russ continue rolling uh, on Crosby's wing, sure. And I'm sorry to anyone who's feeling that sting. I can see Pittsburgh's uh, thinking behind this. Like, not a bad idea to try some different looks heading into the playoffs. If you need to switch it up then, he might as well test some things out now. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm sure Malkin appreciates the upgrade from Kapanen to Rust on his wing. So maybe it's just a matter of time before things click. Or maybe it's just a matter of time before things get shuffled back to the way they were. Uh, ultimately, it's unfortunate for anybody who has Brian Rust and is looking, yeah, you can blame the fact that he's away from Crosby as being the reason he's not producing for you now. But unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do for it. But wait for him to either figure it out with Malkin, which I think he's capable of, or get back up to the top line with Crosby, which he's also capable of. This is to say, I don't think you have much to worry about in the long term, but I'm sorry it's hurt you in the short term. Yeah, well, Lewis needs to win next week, I believe, to clinch the playoffs. He can't correct me in the chat here, uh, but uh, Lewis is going to have one last obstacle, which is me in the couple. We're playing each other next week. And, you know, like I said, I'm clinched. So, like, obviously, I have to set my light up. It's only fair for everyone else. Uh, but, I, you know, it's going to be a rare matchup where I won't be so sad if I lose. I, I'm rooting for Lewis to get in there. Uh, and if he could beat my awesome team, then uh, all power to him. And obviously, it'll help Lewis if Brian Russ maybe gets on that top line or, like you say, starts to figure things out with Malkin on the second line. Brian, this has been so much fun. We've been talking for a couple hours about all the trades and the injuries, outjuries, hot streaks. I, I feel like we could just keep talking forever, but we should probably wind down the show. Obviously, the main thing we've learned today is that Jacob Magna is better than Ivan Provorov. We've confirmed that and a few other things. I hope the listeners have enjoyed the show as much as I have uh, recording it. Uh, if you like the show, we'd, of course, love for you to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. A five-star review is always so nice and doesn't cost you anything. Helps the show a lot. Helps us like rise up 
up the ranks. Uh, we, you can follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Share your feedback with us. Let us know if there's anything you'd want us to do better or differently on the show. What else can I ask people to do? Oh, here's something you could do for yourself. Go to gamedaytweets.com. It's totally revamped, and it's got all the fantasy information you need, all powered by tweets. It's our new invention, okay? The idea is you don't go to some site and look at what they say the lines are or, you know, what they say the goalie starts are, and you don't know the source. You know, where did this come from? Is this up to date? Like, our, on our site, Game Day Tweets, you see the line combination tweets. You see the goalie start tweets, the news tweets. It's all just there. And you know exactly when the tweet happened. Like, what's the source? You could decide if you trust it, but obviously we're only retweeting good, trusted sources. So, hopefully. Hope you like it. We worked hard on it. Uh, GameDayTweets.com. Uh, what else, Brian, should I mention? Oh, our Patreon. The patrons of Keeping Carlson. The lifeblood of Keeping Carlson, like we said on our Patreon cast on Wednesday. Uh, that's going to be our new slogan, right? We should. We haven't updated the Patreon site yet, but we probably should. The lifeblood of the podcast are our patrons. And if you are a patron of Keeping Carlson, we thank you so much for your support all season long. And also remind you... If you're thinking like, okay, the season's almost over, time for me to, you know, cancel and move on with my life, maybe hold off because A, starting in April, we're going to do our, you know, seasonal tradition of giving you all the perks, you you know, stay in the Discord, enjoy everything we do, the Patreon cast for only like a dollar a month instead of the $5 a month US that we normally ask for to unlock all the perks. So you'll be able to just change your pledge since we know obviously like, you know, when the fantasy season is off and maybe uh, supporting us isn't as valuable to you. But also we have some fun stuff coming up. Like as soon as the fantasy season is over we're gonna start gearing up for the kkpp the keeping carlson playoff pool which is something we've done for the last couple of years which is super fun we do drafts every single round and then if you like rank high enough in your division for the playoff pool then you make it to the next round and then finally at the end there's the one winner standing plus all over over the offseason we do lots of fun stuff ranking players preparing for next year so Check it out. If you are a patron, please stick around. If you're not a patron, it's never too late to join KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. But okay, Brian, my voice is going to get hoarse any second now. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you one last time. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Tom, Andrea, Christopher, Flash, and our newest one, Tyler. Thanks a lot for being on board with us. Thank you, as always, to our Cup Full Coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, and our team of co-commissioners. For more on the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, go to kkupfl.com. And thanks to Shams and Elon for all the work they put in to keeping you up to date at gamedaytweets.com. You can also follow our Short Shifts host. We've got two episodes of Short Shifts coming this week. You can follow Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts KK and also follow Dave Betton of the NHL Stream Scheme linked in our show notes at NHL Stream Scheme. Logo art by brandonweeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo. Great job as always, Brian. So much fun to do this with you every single Sunday. And of course, like you said, Ben and Lewis will give us a couple of shows to break down the final trades that happen tomorrow. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen there. And then, of course, I'll talk to you next Sunday. What should I do to keep myself occupied until I wait for that glorious day? If you're looking to keep yourself occupied, then well, take care of your fantasy team, but also take care of each other by doing all you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>